What is the loveologist? A person whose sole purpose is to love. A person whose sole purpose is to love. I've got you. I believe. If you have extra, you share it. I like to open my podcast post-interview, kind of summarizing. I got to talk to Brianne Davis, the author of Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. And I'm telling you, the book is amazing. I've read it now. I don't read it pre-interview because I don't want it to dictate what I ask and how I do things. The book is hilarious and amazing. And I know I've given it copies to a lot of you and we did a live together since the interview and gave some away. But you guys, if you haven't read it, it's just a highly recommended book. I absolutely love it. The interview was phenomenal. We talked and talked and talked and kept talking and had to like force an end to it. And it's the beginning of a friendship. Like this woman is a kindred soul. We're tribe. And I am so excited to share this with you. So here's Brianne Davis, the author of the best-selling novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. I love what you're doing. Thank you. It means a lot. Thank you. I think you're a hell of a human. And I think that (laughs) sometimes we have to go through the shit to mm-hmm. get to this point where we can shine our light. And then you realize at a certain point, oh, that's why I went through all that because now I'm teaching others how to get through it. Oh yeah, I had that moment. My mom read the book. And once you r- listen to the book or read it, you're gonna be like, oh my God, I can't believe Brianne's mom read this book. Like it's, <laughs> it goes there, it's pretty graphic. It's yeah. really raw. It will just take you to the places you never thought you'd wanna go and then takes you back on the other side. But my mom <laughs> read it and she called me and she was crying. And she was oh. like, she's like, and f- she said, I had no idea what the last 10 years, I had no idea what your addiction was. And now I completely understand it. And then she said something that she goes, and some of the stuff you have done, I have done too. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a model behavior. And it's universal. We all do things. Sometimes (laughs) we put ourselves in moral situations or do things we're not proud of. And for my mom to say that it was such a moment of like, oh my God, that's why I did it. And then having hundreds and thousands of people reach out and say, thank you so much. You know, I now don't feel alone. I now can, the other day at a women's meeting, there was four women in there that read my book. Okay. So when you read the book, people, it's called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. I believe this is my calling. And I finally had that moment. Oh, this is why I'm put on this planet to help other people through this gnarly addiction, you know, that nobody talks about. For me, I absolutely understand to my core codependence love addiction mm-hmm. those types of things mm-hmm. where sex may present itself for me is like yeah maybe when I start having sex I'm more attached than I would be mm-hmm. you know even if I wasn't really having all the feels but I generally don't have sex unless I have all the feels and especially now not after like working the program where's the line between sex appeal and sex mm-hmm. addiction well, there's the line. Do you use sex as a currency? Do you, in so. your relationships, do you use sex to manipulate or control or have power over? Do you withdraw when it gets too intimate? Do you go into yourself and would rather masturbate or look at porn than be sexual? Like there's all these different elements nobody talks about. Just this this stigma of society being obsessed with love and romance and fantasy oh and finding your person to complete you. And then once you get in a relationship, you shut down sometimes because we're all scared of intimacy at some level. A hundred percent. I have yeah. had every experience. I have had, you know, um, anxiously being attached. 
Mm-hmm. I have had mm-hmm. avoidant tendencies to the max. Um, yeah. I have sought after unavailability like it's a drug, which it is in a sense. Which it is. Me. It's a bigger, yeah. it's, it's, it's just a drug like cocaine. They did a whole study Absolutely. falling in love and then, you know, that game, that chase is the same <laughs> high as snorting cocaine. So what I say is I say, I snort people. Like I drink (laughs) people, (laughs) you know, you go to the bar, I get, I get on my phone or social media or whatever the hell it is and and go after the people. Yeah. I I snort and I snort and drink people. I look for validation, attention, you know, Mm -hmm. someone to fall in love with me so I can play a role. And then once that high, those butterflies go away, I then bail or I go that for the unavailable person and try to make them available. And once they're available, I shut down. You're done. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Which is exactly why I'm, I mean, it's what motivated me to spend the time I'm spending in my own space right now. And I'm okay if it is avoidant tendencies because I have been in and out of relationships my entire life. I know that I'm not going to stop working. I'm still digging. Now I'm still doing the work. So even if I stay out of relationship while I do certain parts of the work, get back into it, because obviously that's going to trigger other pieces. You know, I'm okay with taking a damn break. I'm no, okay and with that. I tell everyone, you have to take it all away. You have to take yeah. away the drug yeah. and then learn the tools, learn how to have yeah. healthy relationships, learn how to have that self-love and not reaching outside of yourself to fill yourself. Yeah. And then once you have that, you bring it back in a healthy way. But I always tell people, you know, the it's hard not to go anorexic, sexually anorexic, yeah. because once you feel so good in yourself, you're like, wait, I don't want to bring some other kookadoo human being in here that's going to mess up my serenity and peace. But the problem is, as humans, we are conditioned to be with other humans. So, you know, it's a struggle. I've been doing it for 12 years. And it's just like, even to this day, sometimes I want to shut down and not be intimate and just like protect myself. It's your first language. It's always going to be the one that speaks up and you have Mm -hmm. to look at and say, am I, what's going to keep me balanced right now? When I got out of my marriage, I I turned off social media and everything for that first year. So I, smart. I just, I unplugged from everything. Was a mom and I did my stuff. And um, because within four days of being out of that relationship, I was on dating apps. Yeah. And it's then crazy. I stumbled. Right. And then I stumbled <laughs> across. I had like a bunch of girls lined up and then I stumbled across. Now I've never been one to sleep around, but I'll make out all day long. Like I, I definitely, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you're I, a makeout really, slut. You're a makeout. Totally. Totally. I, I will wear that name anytime. But <laughs> what happened is I I'm on these apps. I've got mm-hmm. all these people and I'm talking and doing all this stuff. And then all of a sudden I come across the introduction to love and sex addiction. And I read it and I went mm-hmm. right from reading it to texting who I've had a therapist for like over 20 years. We're basically friends and she's like a life coach. And we talk every few months now, like it's yeah. not even a thing anymore, but she, she basically is my biggest confidant at this point. Right. And I text her and said, Oh shit, you know, and I went and deleted all the apps. This all happened in an hour's time. And I threw myself into withdrawal. Oh my God. I'm so proud of you. That is like, makes me so excited because COVID saved my life. Honestly, it saved a lot of sex and love addicts life. Mm -hmm. Our program has blown up since COVID because people found themselves, they couldn't go outside and look for that validation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 
think it's a blessing, especially for the younger generation. I know we're older, but I'm seeing like 19 year olds, 20 year olds. If anybody's out there and they're 18, you can't go in the rooms, but like 19, 20 year olds, you know, really struggling to find intimacy. A lot of them are impotent. They can't get stimulated because they're oversaturated with sexual images. Oh, I never and even thought porn, about that. And the porn, oh my God, it's out of control. I work with so many young young kids today I that- I thought about that. They're just desensitized yeah, completely. Like, completely. Like they have, they don't get excited over the first kiss. Remember your first kiss? Like oh, how yeah, amazing totally that do. was? They don't have that experience anymore. And I just believe like COVID and this younger generation, it's an epidemic is happening where we're all so tuned in and filtered at the same time and not being our true authentic selves and looking outside of ourselves. And then at this, at the exact same time, we're all like, please, mental health, help me, you know? Right. People want help. They just don't know what to ask for. It's like, my generation, I mean, you didn't even really talk about sex openly. I think we had Dr. Ruth. That was the biggest like twist and like you would talk and she was even old for my generation. But no, but, even but if you think about it, people don't even talk about sex now. It's in a it's all ex it's like for show. Yeah, you're right. You, you're right. You know what I mean? Because I yeah. mentioned even to 19-year-olds, I'm like, so how are you sexually? Like, do you go into fantasy? Are you right. acting out a role that you see in porn or on <laughs> I'm I'm asking all these questions. Do you masturbate when you're having feelings and you don't want to feel them? Do you look at porn? Do you sure. go on the internet and try to escape whatever feeling you're feeling? And you should see their faces. They're like, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah, <laughs> you know? They're like shrivel up. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, you're making me, re- especially the masturbation. They like oh, sure. their face just just goes blank. Oh, I'm I'm like I've been masturbating since I was well, probably three or four. I don't remember. Oh my god, time I, me I too. It. Yeah, it was I a self soothing. A lot yeah. of young kids self soothe, especially if you come from a traumatic background yeah. like I have. I don't know about your background, but oh yeah, I mean, is there anyone alive that hasn't really had trauma? It's all relevant to each of them, but. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, mean, everybody does. We all have some baggage that stunts our growth somehow. That's part of the journey, right? I mean, if we wouldn't, in my opinion, I have a different kind of belief system, but earth is a classroom and death is graduation. And so in my opinion, we come here and that's part of our lessons. And that's part of why it presents. I totally, I don't, I don't say it the same way, but I hear, you know, when you, when you're born, you're born alone. And when you die, you die alone. So you're on this planet for a limited time. So how can you be the best person you're going to be and leave this planet a better place? Cause no one's going with you. The money's not going with you. The likes on Instagram, the perfect, the perfect person. So that's why this whole thing, I'm like, I'm my own fucking soulmate. No one's going to complete me. Absolutely. You know, get that feeling. It's phenomenal. Now I know you're married, right? I am. I'm married now. Yes. I never wanted to be married. uh, One or two kids. I have one and I never wanted kids either. I was too selfish. (laughs) I was too selfish and self-seeking. I'm like, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. I want to go from relationship to relationship and Mm -hmm. have those butterflies and that first falling in love. Yeah, get high. And then, and I did that in my career as an actress. I, my therapist said I picked the worst career for my addiction. <laughs> like I'm always somebody else falling yeah. in love or being in drama. So I just never pictured I would have this beautiful life, but so, this is what this recovery did for me. But I knew from a very young age, I never wanted to be me. 
Does that make sense? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just felt in my skin like I didn't ever completely fit in, but I That's look powerful. like I fit in. You know what I mean? Like, yes, completely get that. I had the outsides that would you would think, but inside I was just so uncomfortable in my own skin. I I said I used to like want to crawl out of my skin and get into somebody else's. Yep. Um. So when I hit, you know high school after my first my first moment of acting out which I'll tell you about was my 8th grade boyfriend his friend like trapped me in a closet which sounds horrible right now like if that happened to my right. kid I'd be like why are you attacking yes someone would be dead right like but at the time you know I grew up with all that fantasy and watching movies yeah. way too young that I shouldn't have seen and this young little boy trapped me in the closet and kissed me. And I kid you not, it was the first time I cheated. And it was like fire went up my entire body. And that power and control I had over this young little boy to mess up his friendship. I've been chasing that high, like to have that power and control with my sexuality. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And so damn honest. Well, it's the truth. I mean, when you do over a decade of work in this and you're like, okay, here it is. Here's the ugly. Here's the nitty gritty. Here's the stuff you never want to tell anybody. But it's like such freedom when you say it. So I was addicted to like attention at that time, that Mm -hmm. high. And then right after that, I had to take a drama class. It was Ah. either like drama or volleyball. And I get so many bruises. (laughs) I was like, I don't want to play volleyball. I'm not athletic at all. Um. And I took a drama class, and the moment I hit the stage, I got to be somebody else. I know that feeling. Right? And it's just like you get to live in someone else's shoes and wear a different costume and look different. And I just – I leaned into just now playing roles. My therapist said I was like being an actor in real life and playing an actor. So I was like an actor and an actor. Like mask (laughs) on top of mask on top of mask. She's like – it was so, yeah, that was the beginning of the career and first, the addiction. Uh, was it, it was, it was a play. Um, I can't even remember the play. It was like some oh. stupid play in school, but then my first big job or was remember the Titans came to town and right. I got a, a two line speaking role as like cheerleader number two. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I didn't. I went and saw the movie and they cut my lines. Oh shit. Oh Yeah. It's like I got the job and the rejection all at the same time. It was amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, par for life at that point, right? Yeah. And it prepared <laughs> me for all the rejection. I was like, okay, yeah. I guess that's what I'm like either going to be. I'm going to be greater than or less than at all times. No. <laughs> it's the yin and the yang. <laughs> right. Uh, this, yeah. So you get into theater. You mm-hmm. find another outlet, another type of high. Your relationship, mm-hmm. and I'm certain. So I purposely didn't read the book because I didn't want it to guide the questions I naturally asked you or dialogued with you. Oh my God. I can't wait for you to read the book though. No, it's on my, <laughs> it's on my audible. So as soon as we're done, it's going on. Like I can't wait. Oh my God. You're going to die. <laughs> it's been hard to wait because I'm so like, yeah. Oh no. I uh, love it. I love it. I'm, I'm totally down. <laughs> but so here's the thing. So then what was your first big relationship and what did it, look back now with with the the you know glasses you have on now. Yeah. What was the good in it and what was the bad in it? The character is his name. I had, I changed all the names so no one can sue me. Um of his, 
ATL. So I named him ATL because obviously I'm from Atlanta and (laughs) we had a on and off relationship for 10 years. So yeah, I lost my virginity to him. I talk about that in the book. I lost it very young. Um, And here's the thing. And people always think like sex and love addicts are sex addicts. all have a lot of partners. Like I've barely had any sexual partners. I've never had a one night stand. Like I am not a person that goes around and just sleeps with a bunch of random people. Uh, Like I said, I've just always used my sexuality as my currency, as my power. Um, that makes sense. I did have one one night stand, but it's because I hadn't, and I'm a damn Gemini, and I was like, I need to. You're do like, that I once. should try that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I just don't. In one night stands, I just felt, especially as a woman, you don't have any power at all. Sure, like sure. I, I, and I talk about this in the book, and I hope this is not too graphic, but like being, oh, go. you're fine. It was like being penetrated, like someone's like, like, um, what's how do you say? Someone's like invading you instead of yeah. you invading them yeah. you know so I'm yeah, like I don't want to yeah. get invaded That's you know? why I've never slept with a man besides the fact that I'm gay but like legitimately I think it's a control thing yeah oh my god we're like the same but different yeah, I think it's totally right <laughs> totally yeah. different but yet the same <laughs> yeah I do think it's a control thing I think I didn't want to end up in a position where like my body is made to service for, for, somebody yes. else yes. yes and to be Technically, I know that there's a lot of different ways to have sex, but technically on bottom, submissive, especially yeah. a first time learning that just isn't a role I could play. Yeah, no, I was totally to with death. you. And every sh- movie I watch as a young kid and mm-hmm. everything I saw, the man was always in the power position. So I ha- took that role on in the relationship. Yep. Yeah, so we I think it by over and over again. Right. So. I would say the most beautiful thing about that 10-year relationship with ATL is, you know, finding myself with someone and having that unconditional love. But then at the same time, I think it it hindered, it allowed me to uh, develop my sneaky ways, my yeah. always yeah. looking outside of myself, wanting to have somebody with me, but then be flirting with someone on the outside. Absolutely. So it definitely hurt me and it it also helped me at the same time. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. We always have a plan B and C, right? Because to go without or to be alone or not have that validation is terrifying. Terrifying. It's like the worst yeah. ever. Like you're, you panic. It's almost like if you think of a heroin addict on Skid Row searching for their next shot. Same like thing. Their drugs wearing off. So they're like, oh my God, panicked. The withdrawal from sex and love addiction is oh. just as bad as heroin. This one guy came I in. Know. When I got my six-month chip, he said, I can quit heroin, but I can't quit her. Oh, that, and, oh, that's so powerful. Right? It was that moment for me where I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have this for the rest of my life. Yeah. I'm going to always want to reach outside of myself to mm. get outside of myself and in somebody else. Now, what happens when you become single? How does that? Well, here's the thing. I always had a backup plan. You were in another one before you were out of it. Yes. So I was one of those ones that, you know, was in a relation, always in relationships, long-term relationships that kind of overlapped a little. Like I had one foot in and one foot out. And the moment that like sexual or power was gone or high of falling in love, because I'm in love with falling in love. Like I said, Absolutely. that's like the best high in the world. And the moment it was done, I was all, had my raiders out. So I had a bunch of guy friends I would flirt with, even though I 
didn't want to be with. I had even girlfriends I used to give me attention. So I was just, I was never fully single. I think the longest I was single was like seven months in my entire life. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's crazy when I I think about it. I took one year and I said, I'm going to be celibate. And I did that. Mm -hmm. And this is way before I knew anything about anything. I was a fucking child, but, um, and that whole year, my I'm air quoting right now, my best friend mm-hmm. and I ended up, we were together without being together. We didn't do any of the physical because she respected it till the year mark. And then, man, we were like bunnies. <laughs> it was, you know, it was like, okay, I hit my year mark. So what are we going to do tonight? <laughs> Why wait till tonight? Oh my you God. Know? I love it. You sound like one of those people like, can I just get through this so I can do my dating plan? Like they're just yeah. wanting to get through it. Like it's just this benchmark. And I'm like, it it doesn't work it's like that. About that. At this point in my life, the only definition I can fit is Polly because I don't believe that one person can fill, fulfill another person completely. Mm-hmm. I have never experienced it. I love being alone. Don't know what it took, what took so damn long for me to get here. And I know what I want but I don't mm-hmm. really believe it exists. So then in my head, it's like, well, then what do I settle for? Cause I provide everything I need financially, emotionally, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I have all the pieces. So then I'm like, I don't know exactly what I seek now when it comes to relationships. So the best phrase I say to people is like, I'm Polly, but I don't want to sleep with a lot of people. Like I'd love a main person. And I did just want to be able to be present in the moment. Oh my God. I could never do that. <laughs> I don't get, well, I used to get jealous and insecure until I learned a hell of a lot more about myself, but I also went. No, it's not even that I don't get jealous or insecure. I just, I, I compartmentalize so badly Uh, and uh, I become other people with, I used to become other people. So I would figure out what the other person wants, Mm -hmm. then play that role. And then when I was tired of playing that role, I would, you know, turn, you know, turn really bad and be like, and blame them. Like I would sign a magical, you know, the, I assign magical qualities to others, idealize and pursue them, then blame them for not fulfilling my (laughs) fantasies and expectations. (laughs) I've watched that happen a lot. Right. So I just, I'm never one of those people that could be with a bunch of people because I, I become someone else. So I really had to do the work where I became a whole person myself. Isn't that the codependence aspect? Yeah, I mean, there's always some codependence in it, right? We I like mean, in everything, I think. Right. But. We take on other people's moods. We are worried yeah. about them. But once you do this work, I'm not codependent with my husband at all. He does sure. not complete me. His moods don't swing me. You know, yeah. I'm a whole person and he's just next to me as a whole person. And we don't complete each other. Yeah, and I think no meshment. You walk on yeah. your side of the streets, you might get really close to each other at times, but that's okay. It's relationship. And then you go back. Yeah, it's just yeah. such a beautiful way. I mean, I'm all for people. I don't think Polly's bad or anything like that. I just could never do it. I mean, my nine-year relationship where my son came from, we didn't have conflict. She wasn't emotionally completely present all the time. She'll kill yeah. me for saying that, but um, <laughs> she's grown. She's different. It's okay. But we yeah. all that. We've all gone right? through situations and we're better. I, listen, I used to shut down completely. Like you could see it uh, yeah. on my face. So I get it. <laughs> This is, um, it's interesting. And you got me in my head and I'm, I personally am on step eight and I'm still like writing letters and looking at things and, you know, Mm -hmm. doing my stuff. But so I can't say that I finished the program. I can't say that I'm at a point. And the other thing, right. I spent Mm -hmm. seven years in CODA. I could go back anytime and redo that program and still find new things out. 
Yeah. Like, you're never we're, done. No, we're constantly evolving. Yeah. And you, so you don't this graduate. Is, There's no graduation. No, nope, nope, <laughs> nope, never. And this is like, it's powerful what you just did though. And it clearly it makes sense why you wrote this book, why you're in this world, like how you're doing this stuff, because I'm a really hard one to get to and to mm-hmm. dissect. Mm-hmm. And I'm also intellectual enough to navigate around that and not walk myself into something if I don't want to. Right. But you just did that so eloquently that you're clearly doing one of the things that you're called here to do. And I just want to give you props for that. Oh, that really means a lot because, you know, this journey has been so taxing just in the sense of I never wanted to speak out. I never wanted to write a book. I never wanted to write articles. I never wanted to speak. I never wanted to be Mm -hmm. out in the open, especially as a female sex and love addict in the entertainment business. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you just like all cards stacked against you. Yeah. I was like, what am I doing? I'm going to like ruin my entire life. But there just came this moment where I wrote this article for HuffPost because all these young kids were coming in and they're Mm -hmm. suffering so bad. And people I know committed suicide. I've known people that murdered each other over relationships. I've spoken in jails for two and a half years. Every female in the jail I spoke to downtown Los Angeles was in there for sex and love addiction. You know, she did things for her partner. Yeah. So I've done like my due diligence and I just had this overwhelming feeling. I woke up and I was like, wow, I need to be of service bigger. I had this epiphany when I got my 10-year chip and it was like, you need to be of service bigger. And then it was like, my husband was like, you need to write, you need to take this writing class. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, leave me alone. I'm shooting (laughs) Lucifer. I was like, I have a job. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, you need to take this writing class. And I was like, I'm dyslexic. I have ADHD. Like, leave me alone. And finally I said, fine, I'll take it. You know, like, and I wrote the first draft of Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict in 45 days. Wow. Yeah. It wasn't me. I didn't write the book. <laughs> like, Right. You some, were a vessel. It, yeah. It was something bigger than me. And when I was writing it and doing rewrites, it was like something just took over and was like, this is what you're here to do on the planet. You're not here to be selfish anymore and make it about your acting work or how you look. It's literally you are going to be of service to the world and say, this is a really big problem. If you think about it, more murders, more suicide to commit over relationships, more people lose their sobriety and a chemical addiction over relationships. And it's just like, when you just said that, that just, you know, filled my heart because it's like, that's why I did it. If I can help one person not live right live in this this fantasy this looking for somebody you know obsession then i've done my job <laughs> seriously that, i mean that's what it's about it's about the selflessness best is the best feeling in the world to be of service outside of yourself and not want anything cuz i used to be such a taker like take take like yeah, i said yeah. i used other people as atm machines mm-hmm. like i would just take take <laughs> take 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 mm-hmm. and now just to give and be of service and that's why i say you know reach out to me if you're struggling i'll send you zoom meetings i'll send you information i'll send you the 40 questions all that yep. stuff is just like this is not about me and i love that about you too. This is not about me. This is about helping other people get on the other side and that finding that self-love. And I hate people that are like, oh, find your self-love. No, I'm like, really, let's find it because (laughs) that's not a bullshit saying. Like, no work. It takes hard work. It takes digging. I always, I, I, 
describe it like this. Like you have to imagine there's a trash can in your soul and all the trauma and things done to you and feelings you've never felt is all shoved down in this right. trash can. And it's like, we have to lift the lid, dig through the yep. shit. Like you have to dig through that shit to get to your gold get and the dirty, gold, stinky, hurt, right? And just feel every horrible thing and then find that gold. And that gold is your innocence. And we have to get back to that. No shit. That's a great analogy. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that is. It's, um, I don't know. Pe- people always tell me you're so selfless. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Here's the thing. I understand the system. By giving, <laughs> you get tenfold. And that may seem shitty to say, but like the more I give of myself, the more life just unfolds for me. That's how it works. It's not like I'm doing it just for that to come back, but it just, that happens. So why wouldn't I continue to spread love, kindness, connection, you know, see and hear Empathy. people otherwise are invisible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's the most important, the, the non-judgmental. You you could literally tell me anything and I've either heard it, said it, done it, yeah. thought of doing it, <laughs> worked with somebody that did it. You cannot tell me. And then people tell me stuff and I'm like, yes, and next. Like what? Do, that's why I have the show Secret Life where people call and tell me their secrets. And yeah, I, it's right. like, Yeah. It's like, tell me your secret and I'll tell you mine. And it's like, we are all in this together. We've all done things we're ashamed of, things done to us that we had no power over. And it's like, let's just throw open the doors to the ugliness and get to the real because I'm just so tired of being fake and others being fake at the same time. You know that secrets suffocate. Oh, secrets kill us. Secrets keep us sick. You can just get them out of your damn mouth. Yeah. You're like 10 steps forward. Oh, yeah. It heals uh, you. Yeah, it absolutely does. And and some people are like, I'm taking it to my grave. And I'm like, then your grave's coming way sooner than it should. They say the average number of secrets people keep are 13. So <sighs> I've told all my secrets. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> listen to the podcast, read the book. Like right. you will literally hear every single secret known to man. And it's just like, there's some freedom in that. And I think after writing the book, after doing the podcast, after writing, you know, for Cosmo and every. And Huff Post yeah, and stuff. You've been everywhere. You've you've definitely done your due diligence in <laughs> yeah. this and in your yeah. so one. Tell me where the hell we can find you, your book, any kind of way to connect or help, and then two. Tell me about the things you're excited about in just your personal life. Yeah, I mean the book you can go on Amazon now. We did Amazon exclusive. We were everywhere worldwide. So it's Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. Uh, it's it's a novel. It's fiction, but it's part memoir, part fiction. So it's like a self-help. There's these 10 rules that the lead character lives by that helped me heal. Um, then this you can go. a series. Well, that's the thing. I'm writing book two right now. It's a four book series. So okay. I'm, you know, doing sober dating now for the lead character in this next book and oh, how to shit, sober yeah. date. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be your book. Oh my God. <laughs> I'll send it to you. So I'm doing that. You know, Lucifer just came out and Secret Life of a Celebrity Surrogate just came out. It's on Hulu. Six on History I was on for two years two seasons is now on Hulu also. So that's airing right now. And then, you know, I rewrote the pilot for Secret Life for the book and we're shopping it around for a TV series. And, you know, hopefully that happens because what I just want to do is get these stories out, as you know, that change people's lives. So 
if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. It's in God's hands. I'm still doing Secret Life podcast. We've released 66 episodes. We have 80 already in the can. So we have enough for a year and a half. So there is some really dark ones, but then we have some really funny ones, like first coming out stories that are hilarious (laughs) and like stealing food from Jeff Bezos at Whole Foods and like secrets like lying on your resume as an actor and then like getting put in the worst situation. So there's really funny ones, but they're... uh, there's some heavy, heavy ones that you will be heartbroken and triumph at the same time. I love what you're doing. Thank you. It means I a do. lot. I Thank think you. You're a hell of a human. And I think that <sighs> sometimes we have to go through the shit to mm-hmm. get to this point where we can shine our light. And then you realize at a certain point, oh, that's why I went through all that because now I'm teaching others how to get through it. 